0: Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is Episode 607, Premier League Preview. (laughs) Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going?
1: Yeah, things are going well. Just got back from a, a week-long break, so I'm nice and refreshed and ready for the Premier League season and other European football to get underway, and and then the NFL. So
0: Your I'm, skin is I'm, glowing. This week I'm vacation re- did wonders for you. Thank you. Are you, you pregnant? <laughs> You're I'm glowing right re- now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I might be. I'm fully recharged. Let's put it that way.
0: I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you something. Did you drink at all in this one week?
1: Yes, but less than normal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this this, <laughs> no, this no drinking month. has worked wonders for you.
1: <laughs> it was poor planning, I guess, a little bit on my part. But yeah, it's uh, there's going to be a couple weeks off coming up now.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't see this weekend as being a weekend off because it is the start of the Premier League. And I'm sure you, like many others, are going to be going to watch it. I will will, be, certainly.
1: Yeah, certainly Saturday. I don't think I'll go out tomorrow night for the opening match. I think I'll probably just watch that one at home, Manchester City against Burnley. But, uh, yeah, I think Saturday I will certainly go out and enjoy the fact that I'll have several hours of sports to to consume.
0: You don't want to see uh, company beat his old club
1: hopefully he doesn't i mean obviously as a blackburn (laughs) rovers supporter burnley are not uh, my favorite team in the world then throw in the way their documentary made them seem they've got investment from jj watt now who i've always found to be mildly annoying (laughs) they got investment from dude perfect who i've always found that
0: nice midwestern vibe
1: (laughs) yeah dude perfect i always found to be mildly annoying so you know all of it's uh they're they're kind of a perfect storm of a team that I hope does not do tremendously well this season. But maybe before we get on to our Premier League preview, okay. I, do, I have a couple of topics I would like to cover. All right. I I'm sure you probably have one or two up your sleeve. Now, normally when I come back from any kind of travel, I have a sort of oh, nightmare boy. travel story to share. <laughs> what is it I don't, this time? <laughs> Travel was pretty smooth this time around. Wow. However, on my train ride home, sort of a couple hours into the train ride, the conductor came over on the sort of intercom message system, said, uh, There's someone on the train who would just like to say a quick word. And that person hopped on the microphone and proceeded to propose to <laughs> their partner who was on the train. <laughs> wow. Which, a
0: train proposal.
1: Yeah. Which maybe
0: Do you have any was there did you get any more information besides hearing the proposal? Because I have a few like one, do they work for the train company? Two, did they meet on this train? Like maybe that'd be a good story. Like yes. we we just serendipitously met on this train one day. She dropped her luggage. I picked it up for her. The rest is history.
1: Yeah. No. No further con- <laughs> no. no further context was given. And you're right. If there had been more context, then the proposal could have come across as some, somewhat nice. You're right. Either they work on, for the train company, they met, maybe their first ever holiday was like that train line, you know, that was the train yep. journey they took. There's a lot of reasons why. I still think you may be... First child was
0: conceived in the bathroom Perhaps. of the train.
1: <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe she was. You know, who... <laughs> That here's,
0: here's my next question. Did he ask at the first car and was she like in car 15? And then he had to run down 15, 15 train cars to get the answer.
1: So obviously, I, she wasn't, it was not in my car. So I can't really, I don't know what the exact logistics were. However, she was definitely in the same car that he was making the proposal to. I'll also say this he didn't have a lot of enthusiasm. Like it was like, so the the person came on and said, "Hey, there's someone who would like to make an announcement really quickly." He took over and just said, I can't remember what her name was, but oh, you know, Sarah is the love of my life. French or English? Um, in French, all in French. Okay. It would have been even more bizarre in English. That would have really <laughs> or any other language, not specifically English, but any other language would have thrown me off. And and she said yes. It was confirmed that she said yes. But it was met by, I'm assuming they thought the whole train was going to just burst out into applause. It was met by mostly just baffled looks and people, <laughs> I think, trying to figure out if this was like a a bit that was being done. I don't know. But I'd
0: it, it say yeah, be- what's even worse than proposing on a train, proposing on a train is a bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be up there with the worst places to propose, which made me... Do some googling on the worst places to propose and a couple of years ago on twitter people were doing there was the hashtag bad proposal locations oh that was Can i guess
0: f- as to one that i know of a very close personal friend did okay go for it i will propose-
1: say a lot of these are slightly comical but they are supposedly all real life examples okay. but yeah go for it
0: proposing at someone else's wedding
1: um, so I've got the top, there's a top 13, there isn't, there, you're kind of right, so number nine is proposing at her wedding, so this is someone who proposed to someone else on the <gasps> No, that's way year. worse,
0: that's I'm close to the same level. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, yeah, there's not... There's not a lot of these that are, so to give you a rundown, um, one is on the toilet and there is a picture of someone proposing to their girlfriend whilst she was on the toilet.
0: I think that one's funny. (laughs) I would would enjoy telling that story.
1: (laughs) It's kind of amusing. You might not enjoy being the future wife with the picture of you with your pants around your ankles. Yeah. Uh, But there's Chipotle. Chipotle.
0: Chipotle. Ooh. Yeah. As far as fast food restaurants go, it's not the worst. I mean, so it is fresh what, ingredients made fast.
1: So uh golden corral. Now also is it makes the is list. it
0: in the Chipotle bathroom? Because then that is a disaster situation. <laughs> 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 if you combine those two, then we've got a worst though. <laughs>
1: uh, and to go through there's two Two TV sets. Wait,
0: wait, did you say what was a Golden Corral? Yes. That's way worse. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's go to the cheapest buffet we could afford. After we've stuffed our faces for 45 minutes, let's go to the six different pies they have available for dessert and I'll stick a ring in one of the
1: pies. Wow. Hope you, you, you scoop it. <laughs> you agree with the most popular tweet relating to the Golden Corral topic, which was no one feels sexy after eating a pot roast and 37 shrimp. So no. you've gone, you've gone, you're in in there. The Holocaust Museum oh, is another yeah. one that made the no list. comment. <laughs> yeah. At the airport, which, <laughs> it depends. Like, what, like if, the- what
0: if you were going on holiday to propose and plans, like, you know, you got stuck and you couldn't do it, blah, blah, blah. Like, I could see certain circumstances where it's like, we made the best of a worse situation, and all I really ever wanted to do was to propose to you anyway, so blah, blah, blah. It's corny, but I could see it.
1: Or the 90s rom-com. She's coming back leave- from a trip. Coming back, or she's leaving, and you got to yeah. propose before she leaves. Admittedly, 9-11 kind of ruined that, because you can't, you can't like go to the gate with Thanks, them. Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst part of 9-11 was ruining airport proposals, but yeah it's uh that one I, I would give hangover. A, <laughs> I would I would give a slight pass to number one on the list is funeral, which Oof. it's a, wow. that's a tough one
0: yeah talk about comedies you could just wedding crashers would would argue against that.
1: yeah, but it's a hard again I mean it's a, it is the interesting one because the story could kind of age well. you uh, know like it's an amusing how did he propose? But then you have to also do whose funeral do you propose at? Because if it's a super close family member, then that seems no
0: at no way at the funeral. It's like <laughs> if if this is like they're saying at the funeral, but it was really like that night at dinner. That's that doesn't I think the indication. If here this is... is like in the midst of a funeral, someone's yeah. like, I, guys, I know everyone's really sad, but let's turn those frowns upside down because I'm gonna propose." To the dead father's daughter.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Try and turn, you know, silver lining. Playbook. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there's, I don't know. Most of them are are pretty bad. But, yeah, it was, um, it definitely didn't make me jealous of how this guy went about it. I'll put it that way. It was, I don't think in my life I will ever see a a worse proposal scenario. But maybe, maybe someone will outdo it. I'm not a big fan anyway. Is that a of challenge?
0: The, it was, did you just send a challenge out?
1: That's a challenge to listeners. So if you can beat that, follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or I guess X now, and you know search for the Big Chill Podcast, and you can let us know worst proposal scenarios you've witnessed or maybe even been part of. Maybe we've got some listeners who came up with bad ideas for proposals or were proposed to in a bad manner.
0: Now, what I want to see is what's the success rate of these, because I could almost argue if you are, I could argue either way, either you're so bad at being a human that that relationship's doomed. If you think that's the way to propose, or you're so comfortable in your relationship that you can propose at a toilet at Chipotle and know (laughs) that it's going to be a great story. That's going to last you your entire relationship.
1: The train—it's an interesting move, right? Almost impossible to say no to, because a) it throws in the public element, so you're already feeling like there's the public pressure, yeah. and b) there was another two hours of the train ride oh. left to go, so you yeah. can say no because um, you got no way to I escape. If they it's consummated
0: a, it right after that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a full train, so like there's nowhere else you can really. You're gonna go and stand in the like restaurant cart for two hours just trying to avoid the person so i in that sense i mean i think that would be the tough thing it's always what i think about like the, the sports stadium proposal impossible to say no to really but it's awful
0: see now i can argue that is probably a best case scenario for a guy because you propose she says yes everyone's happy she says no She's definitely the one leaving, and at least at the very least, you get to stay and watch your favorite team play (laughs) to try and boost your spirits.
1: (laughs) And And also- And then
0: you've got everyone around you being like- Sympathetic. F her. Screw her, man. You're better off without her. Go Cowboys. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, you definitely- You're getting some sympathy. Because it's the interesting thing, right? Everyone is- when you watch someone propose to someone else, everyone wants them to say yes. We know nothing about these people or their relationship, but it's just full on say yes, yeah. say yes. Like it could be just the worst relationship ever. It could not even be a relationship. It could be almost a stranger proposing to someone else. But still, the, the, the crowd is willing it to be, to be an acceptance. Now on my other topics, I know you hate the Live Golf Tour. And this is <laughs> this is live golf adjacent.
0: Okay, is this the Don't, Phil Mickelson
1: revelation? It is the Phil Mickelson revelation. So that I is, have on
0: my list as well, Eddie.
1: Okay, happy to so,
0: chat about a guy who's gambling a billion dollars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is Billy Walters, professional gambler, who a one-time friend of Phil Mickelson,
0: arguably uh, the most successful gambler in history. Pref- Professional Although gambler, I think yeah. he says that, so I don't know how much you could take that. But
1: Phil Mickelson's next book might say otherwise based <laughs> yeah. on this. But uh, yeah, so they, they met uh, at a pro-am in 2006, became fast friends, bonded over the fact that they both liked sports, both liked gambling, and from then formed a partnership which lasted about five years, which was on the basis that Phil Mickelson was able to provide the online offshore betting accounts necessary to put really large bets on because he had a history of placing large bets and mostly losing so he was able to get bets on for billy walters that otherwise billy walters would not have been able to get on and for five years this went on eventually all of this friendship ended in kind of disaster because billy walters went to prison for uh, insider trading Whoops. and <laughs> yeah and basically and accuses phil mickelson of lying in his discussions with the fbi and basically says that phil mickelson could have kept him out of prison which had a very sad element to it because whilst he was in prison his daughter committed suicide so it's easy to say that bill walters not phil mickelson's biggest fan anymore but at one moment in time they were friends and they gambled a lot together and he kept close track of Phil Mickelson's gambling and also has a couple of other uh, friends who kept very close tra- track of Phil Mickelson's gambling. And he has broken that down in his upcoming book, which is not exclusively about Phil Mickelson, but a couple of chapters are dedicated to them. And so the big revelations, you touched on it. He estimates that over 30 years, Phil Mickelson will have wagered about $1 billion. Yep. That to me, I uh, no, said, so
0: "Do you have?" So I have the specifics. He said, "Between from 2010 to 2014, 2000. he made yeah. 858 bets of over 220,000. So almost no, so
1: no, he made. It's more precise. On 858 occasions, he bet exactly 220,000. Oh, exactly 220,000.
0: And yeah. then 1,115 bets of 110,000. Yes, in that four-year so, period."
1: And some more, in 2011 alone, he made an average, he made 3,154 bets, which is an average of nearly nine per day. On one day in 2011, he made 43 bets on Major League Baseball games. And he lost $143,500 on those bets. Betting... <laughs> a, just betting on Major League Baseball is kind of wild anyway because the games are so unpredictable. I know, I'm sure there's people listening who think they have some kind of insider edge, but it is one of those sports where the best team can lose to the worst team and you can get starting pitcher matchups and stuff that you think are friendly, but I still think it's kind of wild. He, and in the time, and, and then also in their five year relationship, he made a total of 7,065 bets on football, basketball, and baseball. And, and in then the big
0: revelation, do you want to drop that one?
1: <laughs> well, the big revelation is that in that time, he lost close to $100 million.
0: Oh, that's not uh, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the insider betting he almost took part in. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, or may have taken part in
0: the Yeah, book. he doesn't know. So he, supposedly yeah. in 2012 for the Ryder Cup, he asked Walters to place a $400,000 wager on the U.S. team to win. So he's picking his own team to win. Uh, And then Walters responded said, have you lost your fucking mind? Don't you remember what happened to Pete Rose? (laughs) So he wanted no part of it, but he doesn't know if then Mickelson went somewhere else. And had he taken that bet or did he take that bet, it would have been a loser because the U.S. lost by, that was the year I think it lost by half a point
1: or one point. Yeah, it was the miracle of Medina. Yep. So it was when the Europe had this the Sunday comeback and Phil Mickelson lost on Sunday. So So maybe he actually bet the other way. <laughs> yes. But yeah, he estimates that his Phil Mickelson's losses uh, well, he estimates that Phil Mickelson's losses over around thirty years would be about hundred million dollars, and that he will have wagered his sort of turnover will be around a billion. The billion is kind of being taken. As by people as like, oh, he's lost a billion dollars, which is not what he's saying. No, he's just yeah. saying he's bet a total of a billion um, dollars. And, and I mean, it ties in obviously to what happened with Live Golf in that this comes across as a clear explanation as to why maybe Phil Nicholson had to take the huge check from the Saudis because he might have needed it to get out of massive gambling debt, which he's been accused of previously and pretty vehemently denied. But this obviously... Makes it seem like it might be true.
0: If only he had just invested all his money in the man's ear or the bro, he would have he would have been a spokesman and a and a billionaire.
1: <laughs> He's lost weight now, but yeah, it's uh, it's not a great look, and it also comes on fresh on the heels of even footage from last week's live golf event where he and bryson and were playing in the practice round and. He was saying like, let's bet $2,000 on the practice round to, to Bryson DeChambeau, which I mean, for them is nothing, but it still shows you that he's probably still at it. Yeah. So oh, there's let's, no call way. It, let's call you it- You just don't stop.
0: <laughs> so when turned over a billion, doesn't just stop one day.
1: <laughs> especially not when- 300 million recently hit your bank account. <laughs> yeah, that's you figure you could lose at least another 50 before it really starts to hurt. Exactly. So, yeah, that's um, yeah. I mean, it's quite sad in all honesty, like especially if with the amount of money he's made over the course of his career, if he has if he doesn't have much left, then that would be yeah, pretty sad. But again, you know, this this is the thing. Once you're Phil Mickelson famous, though, he can always make more money. You can just go do after dinner speaking, and people are going to pay him ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars a night to go and turn up. Yeah. Like I mean, a corporate so event. what?
0: You lost a hundred million. You have a lifetime of bad beat memories that you can recite oh, yeah. now.
1: <laughs> About when he missed a putt on Sunday <laughs> of the Ryder <writer> yeah. Cup. <laughs> it's the bad beat when you do it yourself? That's the beat. Yeah. We need to get Phil Mickelson on and debate that. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one.
0: So I, I know, obviously, we want to get into the Premier League preview. So I have two topics that are football adjacent. Or I would say Premier League adjacent. Do you want to go with the, the lighthearted one or the Eddie gets to rant one?
1: Um, hit me with a rant and so then we can go upbeat for the remainder of the podcast.
0: Okay. U.S. women's soccer is okay. out of the World Cup.
1: Why would I rant? (laughs) This isn't the upbeat one. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) To quote a very close listener of the podcast, how happy is Eddie that the U.S. women's (laughs) soccer team has has fallen out of the World Cup?
1: (laughs) So, I'm going to both be critical of them and defend them at the same time. Okay, Because the idea... that they lost because they were distracted by their politics and all of that stuff it's so stupid so i want to defend them in that respect i do think that their egos are a bit too big and i do think they deserve a fair amount of criticism for how they kind of carried themselves into this tournament we touched on that with the you know the commercial of sort of who's going to beat us uh, element so and i think some of their reactions i mean Megan Rapinoe, Rapinoe. I think it's Rapinoe, right? I, I'm always unsure of how you're supposed I to say, say her Rapinoe, name. But maybe it's Rapinoe. But whichever way it is, her missing the penalty and then turning around and kind of laughing to herself.
0: I knew that was going to incite you.
1: <laughs> if an England men's footballer did that, I would never want him to play for England again, and I might hunt him down and kill him so i want to put like the level the, the level of rage i would feel at the like oh you know is it who who think oh my god how how could this possibly happen to me hey kind of amusing isn't it that bit would drive me up the wall the penalty shootout as a as a whole not super high quality <laughs> England's penalty shootout against Nigeria wasn't much better, I have to say. I watched both of them. No. So the, the quality of women's penalty shootouts is not super high. That's something that they maybe need to go away and work on a little bit because they're not putting their best foot forward there. If I go on the larger, big picture look, I don't think this women's team, it has been the U.S. women's team has been so successful over the past 10 years, kind of mostly this generation of footballers. It's hard to be too critical of them for one poor tournament performance, because you're not going to win every World Cup. Like Even the most dominant sides don't win You know, every Super Bowl, every Premier League, every Champions League, whatever. You're going to slip up at some point, especially in single elimination situations. They weren't good at any point during this World Cup, so it's not as if it comes as a huge surprise that they didn't go on to win it. What I will say is this, and I'm all in favor of, of women getting paid equally in all scenarios. I just want to say that. I think the calls for them to be paid like messy levels, obviously if you're not generating the kind of revenue that messy generates, that doesn't make sense. But just in principle, obviously getting paid the same is absolutely correct. The thing that bugs me, and it's what I've been critical of them the whole time, part of their argument was always we deserve to be paid more than the men because we're more successful. That to me is not the basis on which their argument should have been framed because you then have this scenario, which is catastrophic failure by their own standards and reaching the same stage of a World Cup that the U.S. men's team will reach. And then the argument kind of starts to fall apart and it makes it easier for your opponents to now turn around and say, well, are they getting pay cuts? And that to me is the shame. So I'm not being critical of them in that respect, but I do wish they'd been... Sort of more sophisticated in the way they'd position themselves at times. So I don't like many of these women very much. I'm happy they've been knocked out. I just you find know. a lot of them annoying. So I'm happy they've been knocked out. It's not because they're American, it's not because of their political stances, most of which I'm in total agreement with. It's just I find them annoying. And I'm happy that. We maybe won't have to see a lot of them again.
0: Yeah, so um, Carly Lloyd's has been bashing the US women's team for several weeks now. And and I mean, in fairness, she did predict that she didn't see them going very far after they almost didn't even make it into the knockout stage um, when uh, they almost got so they were saved basically by a post. But I don't... The part that kind of annoys me is, oh, they're just so focused on themselves and endorsements and making money and this and that. Like, every athlete is doing that. That That isn't the excuse. If you want to tell me that they just don't seem to care as much, okay, I can get on board with you on that. But you, I don't think it's right to say they care more about their endorsements and making money and this and that. Because every player, like Messi won the World Cup and he's on every fucking football commercial there is so you can't tell me that you know that's not a reason if you want to say they didn't seem focused in practice they weren't you know 100 committed then maybe so but i'm not behind the scenes and i don't think many people are so you don't know that but you also have to look at the matches that sometimes you just don't have good luck in a tournament they outshot sweden 11 to 1 in that match they just couldn't score and sometimes you know what that happens and they had some good opportunities the sweden keeper made a couple nice saves but like in a in a different parallel universe, they probably put three of those in and they win three nil easily and they move on. You know, like they didn't play the worst you know football I've ever seen. They every match they basically were the dominant team or the better team at least. You know, and sometimes you just don't get lucky. And maybe that is because they weren't so committed and they weren't trying so hard. But it's a little bit of an exaggeration to kind of blame it on all of them. You know, caring more about themselves and their politics. And I think. It's a combo of not having the best tournament, having four starters out, for, like including their captain and in addition their leading scorer out. That's a, that's two huge losses right there, and everyone else in the world is getting better. Like Gone are the days when the U.S. could cruise into a semifinal by playing clubs that are teams that you know weren't anywhere on their level. Like every, Sweden's the top three, four in the, in the world. You know they're a good they're a good team. So, like. You know, we'll see. It's maybe a little bit of a rebuilding year. But I agree with you that after this now, I think if you if they repeat what they did here, then there's going to be a lot of concerns for, you know, kind of everything that they've said and tried to do. And now they can't be as dominant as they were because the world's (laughs) catching up.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you make a fair point there. They're not going to be as dominant as they were because you're absolutely right. The overall standards of women's football have increased drastically and they have more competition and that just makes it harder to win. They're going to have to beat more good teams to win World Cups now than they had to 12 years ago. There's no there is no two ways around that. And that's also going to be an interesting thing for me. You know, one of the things I love to say, like America does not like losers. Like America is a country where You only really have interest in winners. And for the most part, most Americans win things because you're a big country, good at sports, great infrastructure behind everything. So you do tend to dominate the sports that you take an interest in. But, you know, the popularity of women's football in the U.S. has in part been a result of the success of the women's national team. It's, I mean, it's impossible to argue that that isn't one of the reasons why it is the women's national team in the U.S. is some disproportionately pop, sort of more popular than the men's team when compared with football in any other country. It will be interesting to see how that popularity survives as it becomes more difficult for them to be as dominant as they were previously. On the point of them being distracted by sponsorships and stuff, I totally agree with you you know, there's more than enough time in a year for someone to record all the kind of make the commercials they need to make and have the photo shoots that they need to have done without it interfering with anything else. The one thing I will say though, this women's team or this team seemed to be kind of anointing superstars before they had done anything to justify it. And maybe there you could say that that is a distraction, that there was this element of like, well, We've always had dominant players in the world and here's the next generation. Like This is just an endless cycle. So we've got, we had these couple stars, now we have these couple. If you wanted to be critical of it, then I would say that. And if I were to think of this as like an England team and how I would be critical then of squad selection, maybe some of these aging superstars who got given one last chance to go out and perform on the World Cup stage didn't really deserve it. And maybe they should have had totally moved on from some you know when you are looking at a host of players in their mid to late 30s who are certainly not the same caliber of player that they were four eight years ago maybe you know as as and i think it's tougher in a sport where you are desperately looking for recognizable faces and people and you know players that people can relate to and and recognize easily to move on to the next set of players is kind of harder. And it's sort of, I guess, kind of counterintuitive for me to at one moment in time say move on from the old players and don't anoint the next ones quite as quickly. But I do think there's a balance there of not just penciling everyone in as the next big superstar and speaking about them as if they're unstoppable, which is how they spoke about a lot of these young players coming into the World Cup, whilst also not having 38-year-olds coming on to try and save your World Cup when they probably aren't that good anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you did mention mention England survived their shootout against Nigeria, but someone who didn't survive too well in that is Lauren James, one of the better better England players, one of the better players in the world, uh, proceeded to stomp on a Nigerian player, got a red card that was initially a yellow, changed to a red, and has a two-game ban so she would not be back until the finals at this point what's your what what's your take on that one
1: again i mean and i'm not saying if this were a men's team because i only care about men's but obviously my emotional attachment to that is is far stronger had that been had that been her brother reese james in an england world cup I would be calling for him maybe to never play for England again like I, it was but I, I don't he, think Richings is so a good stupid.
0: comparison because I don't think he's, he's not as good. big of a star. Yeah, so let's say let's say it's
1: uh, um, from an England perspective
0: not I, I wouldn't say Harry Kane as maybe one step too high. She,
1: she's a I mean she is a defender so you kind of have to limit it. It'd be like yeah. is it john stones i was or... gonna
0: say john stones <laughs> i can't picture john stones doing that
1: <laughs> but yeah I mean, All right, it's let's so say john stones it's, it's not so stupid it's so stupid what she did like it was so petulant you're never going to get away with it nowadays because of the video replay it it didn't come on the back some people have been comparing it to david beckham in the 98 world cup with diego simeone like That was a match where the Argentinians were just spending the whole time getting under their skin, cheap little fouls. Diego Simeone kind of pushes David Beckham's head down on the ground and then Beckham flicks his leg out. Also stupid, but I can see how in the moment you can get, you can kind of lose your head for a second and let that happen. This is just, I don't really know why she's done it at all. Like it's impossible to defend it even for a second. So it's it's really, really stupid. Obviously she's such an important part of the team that When she becomes available again, she'll be right back into the starting lineup. There's no... Would
0: you put her in, in the
1: finals? Yeah, you have to. If you're the manager, do you put her in? Yeah, you have to. You just, I mean, there's just... Otherwise, you're, you know, kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face at a certain point. There's... Unless the person who comes in and fills in for her does such a fantastic job that you'd have to say, well, we we can't change a, a winning formula. But assuming then... And that's tough to do. Again, when you're talking about a defender, it's it's hard to say how good of a performance would you have to put in in the quarterfinal and the semifinal to justify leaving out one of your best players. An attacking player is kind of easier. Like if you're a forward and someone else comes in and scores five goals in two games, well, then you might have to be left out. But in, in this scenario, I, I can't really see how, how she doesn't play if England make the final, which is a big if because they're also missing key players, now one more, and they haven't looked that great either. So, I mean, it's a super open Women's World Cup, but we'll see We'll see who wins. What's the next sort of football topic that's easing us into the Premier League preview? Though?
0: Well, I think on that note, we should head into the Premier League. Okay. I think we spent enough time bantering.
1: Well, do we quickly say – I mean, we I know we will obviously talk about it when we get to Tottenham, but it's maybe worth saying that the Harry Kane scenario continues to drag on seemingly Bayern Munich and Tottenham Hotspur reached an agreement on the, for, on the deal, and then it seems like Harry Kane is not going to accept uh, the move, which is strange because a week ago it was being told that Bayern and Harry Kane had already reached an agreement and they were just waiting on Spurs – I'll be honest with you, this scenario, this whole thing is now making Spurs look bad for originally standing in his way well standing in his way for like the last 12 months. It now makes Harry Kane look bad because if he did speak to Bayern Munich and basically come to an agreement, speculation is that Barcelona have spoken to him and kind of reached, indicated that they could reach an agreement to sign him on a free when his contract is up at the end of the season. I don't really get that because that's completely illegal. He's not allowed to speak to other clubs until January 1st. <laughs> but
0: it's Barcelona. So it's they do everything Barcelona. illegally.
1: <laughs> it's in t- Yeah, you're right. But um, and, and mostly what this just makes look stupid, as is the case with a lot of professional athletes, his agent is his brother, and that's just dumb. Get a professional agent. Get someone who knows what they're doing. Get someone who clubs feel like they have to maintain a working relationship with. Because I think part of the reason why Spurs treat Harry Kane in the way that they do is because they don't have to worry about pissing off his brother and then that scuppering a deal in the future which is what you have to worry about if you piss off an agent normally is like oh are we never going to sign a player that he represents again yeah and it's like well unless harry kane's son comes along in 20 years we don't have to worry about this too much so we can screw him over all we want but this it's now making harry kane Kane was the sympathetic figure for a long time and now makes him look semi-bad, but we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. So the ball is in Harry's court now. So.
1: Yes. So Premier League preview for the 2023-24 season. You're going to kind of lead the discussion. So where do yeah. we start?
0: So I'm going to start, Eddie, with with I think is an American concept, and that is the concept of the sports dynasty. Americans love to have a sports dynasty. We are now sitting on City having three straight Premier League titles and most recently getting the treble. No club has ever won four in a row. Are they a dynasty already? Or do they need to win that fourth year to be the only club ever to win four in a row to be a dynasty?
1: Um, So, yeah, I mean, they've won... Five out of the last six, which the tough thing is, right? So the Premier League only was formed in 92. So, well, 92-93 season is the first Premier League season. And Manchester United were so dominant in the early years of the Premier League. Then, to me, they feel like the only real dynasty the Premier League has seen so far. And I don't think Manchester City are there yet. I'm not even sure if this... This six out of the last
0: seven and four in a row, and a treble in the mix,
1: right? But Manchester United won 93, 94, 96, 97, 99, 2000, 2001, 2003. But you can have multiple that's a mega dynasty, (laughs) and then and then one again three times in a row, 07, 08, 09, then one in 11, then one in 13. So you, you basically had 20 years in which. Manchester won, two, four, seven, eight, 11, 12. They won thirteen of twenty. Yeah, and so that's it's like hard. two
0: dynasties in one.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, it was it was different inter- iterations yeah. of their teams, which is also the hard thing with this city thing, right? Because the Manchester City team now is very different from the Manchester City team in say two thousand eighteen. Yeah. So it's like, is it a dynasty? Like, it's even different from the team in 2021. I, I'll say no. I'll okay. say they become, I say if they win, uh, I'll say a weird thing. I think they can become a, like, European football dynasty if they win the Premier League and the Champions League this season. Okay. Because then it will have won so much in, sort of, collectively in Europe, including domestic titles in a short period of time. But I think in the Premier League season, they need a couple more years of they need to win two out of the next three, let's say, to, to kind of enter full dynasty status. Okay.
0: Now, give me your rapid fire answer, because I think I know what it's going to be. Does City win this year? Yes. Okay, good. Next question. What would prevent them
1: from winning? what would need to happen? Um, I don't know. World war three. Like that. it's pretty hard to imagine. I mean, cause they can survive. It's not going to be one injury, right? Like, I don't know Kevin De Bruyne being injured. Like if he was injured the whole season, but to win the premier league, they just have such strength and depth. Um, I really can't see in anything in the kind of realistic world of scenarios. You know, obviously, if you tell me five key players get in it's sort of season-ending injuries in the first two or three months, which I guess is possible, but seems unlikely. I guess like a serious injury to Holland. I mean, they obviously won the Premier League without him, but that would, and Alvarez has done well when he's played for them. But it, it forces them to completely change their system now. So a serious injury to Holland early on would maybe make me think twice. But I still, yeah, I think it would take. I think it would take at least three players getting season-ending injuries early on, and that's possible. But it would be tremendously bad luck.
0: Okay, you mentioned Holland.
1: Does no. he? <laughs> no, he doesn't score more goals this year than he scored last year. If that's your—that's the answer already? No, it's no. Okay. I think he plays fewer Premier League matches this season. So Because
0: he already has the title and now it's just preserving the dynasty?
1: <laughs> has the record. They can manage him. I don't think they'll be, you know, last year they were behind for such a large portion of the season. I expect them to be in front. So I just think you can then strategically. Yeah, I think they'll have. I think there will be a certain pressure in a way to get Alvarez more involved, because it's difficult to have a player who has impressed when he has played for City and also obviously did well in Argentina's World Cup winning side. So if it's someone they want to keep, then you know you probably need to show that he's playing a bigger part in the team. And yes, they can have him on the pitch at the same time as Holland, but it's a. It's a bit more difficult for them to do without becoming overly attacking. So I think you'll see Alvarez get more playing time and Holland play slightly less.
0: Yeah. And so some of the rebuttals I've heard are now that teams have seen him play and played against him for a year, they will be better able to match up against him. The counter argument being he's still basically a child and is getting better every year that, yeah, maybe you could stop last year as Aaron Holland, but this year he's even better or stronger or slightly faster. You know, I think he could score as many, but I actually agree with you. I think now that that first year he went out, he was so dominant, got the record. I think they're going to be a little more conservative and kind of pull him back. So that way, when they need him, when he actually wasn't his best, maybe in the Champions League matches last year, you know, didn't have his best matches in some of those, he'll have some more reserves in the tank to, to be better when they actually need him to be better, not in a 7-0 thromping of Everton.
1: Yeah, no, that's, a, that's fair. It will also be interesting, right? Guardiola is very committed to making players better we've seen it with a host of players on during his time at city. I mean, also at Bayern and and Barcelona, it will be interesting to see if now there's a heavy focus on getting Holland just more involved in play and making him a more complete player in the process. He, I mean, you're right. Whenever he speaks, you know, after they won the champions league, he's Holland spoke about the fact that he can improve significantly, that he he feels like he's only a, a kind of fraction of the player that he could end up being as a finished product so yeah that might be again if he does decide to kind of dedicate some time to that then he'll sacrifice goals in the process so you know that will be it will be interesting to see because you know goal scorers tend to be very selfish so I still think ultimately he'll want to chase goals and be in the place he needs to be to score goals but it, it could happen
0: So the departures of Mares and Gundogan, nothing for you, doesn't doesn't affect them.
1: I mean it definitely does affect them. Those are two players who were just proven Premier League players who they knew, you know, they weren't key players last season, but they could come well, Probably off the key bench. voices, right? Yeah, and they they were game winners. I mean it's, you know, it was what made in a sense it what separated City from the rest of the teams in the Premier League and even in Europe is that you had players of that caliber and that level of experience sitting on the bench. I mean, Kovacic comes in equally experienced, really. So you kind of replace one of those uh, there. I mean, certainly from the kind of Gundogan perspective, you'd say Kovacic kind of, it's a pretty like for like replacement in a lot of ways. They don't, they have other young wide attacking players to fill the role of Mares. it kind of simplifies life for them I suppose if they want to try and you know like the Foden question if Grealish continues to be a major factor it maybe allows them to try and get kind of Foden and Grealish playing consistently at the same time obviously they both want to play on the left but they can kind of try and compromise there to a certain degree so I don't think it hurts them I'll put it that way But but for sure, if they slip up in the first couple of games, as City are often prone to do, you will get the kind of talking head reaction of wouldn't they have loved to have Gundogan or Mahrez coming off the bench?
0: Yeah. So City to win the league. Let's go top four and then we'll go into each team in a little more depth.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to stick with my bold prediction I made towards the end of the last season. I have Arsenal missing the top four. So okay. that's that's the kind of major talking point, I guess, of, uh, of my kind of top four predi- predictions. So I'm going to put... I'm a bit torn as to who I think will finish second. I think I think Liverpool have a sort of bounce-back season and finish second. I'll say United finish third. And I think Chelsea have the real bounce back season. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay. So I have City and Liverpool second as well. But I have Arsenal cracking the top three and kind of staying up there. And then United fourth. And then I have, I'll spoil and say, I have Chelsea fifth. So the major difference is. Me having Arsenal third, if you remove that, it'd be the exact same order. Okay, so let's then go Let's then go next to Liverpool then. What what gives Liverpool this bounce back? Is it the new signings? McAllister and uh, the Hungarian? <laughs> the I, don't, I, I, I don't It's uh, Shabushlai or however Shabushly you're
1: Shabushly supposed to pronounce it. Supposedly or something Shabushly Shabushly, like that. Shabushlai something like that, yeah. Domino. Um, let's just call him Dom. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes,
0: yeah, definitely I strengthens the midfield, which both has been a concern. Signings.
1: Yeah, they're both good signings. Um, and then, kind of look at who they left, who they lost. Jordan Henderson, who they needed to get rid of anyway because he was just aging. Firmino, who popular figure. I mean, they lost three really popular figures, right? Yes. Jordan Henderson, Roberto Firmino, and James Milner. Yeah. I don't think any of them. I don't. Are going to be overly missed just because as you as important as they were to liverpool at different moments in time they were simply too old yeah
0: Uh, alex i think i I think they're they're more missed in the fact that they represent kind kind of almost like a transition here for liverpool you know maybe you could even argue that that was last year and now it's finishing this year this transition to try and turn things over but those are three names that you know for the last what five years you always associated with with liverpool
1: yeah, I mean the one they'll really miss, Leighton Clarkson. He had a super impressive loan spell at Blackburn. So, sure. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah. I think I think they've I think those are two very good additions to their first eleven. That's two players who will make them a better team. I don't think they really lost anyone significant from that first eleven in the process. So they are stronger. Their best eleven are stronger. Is stronger than it they were last season. And And healthier than
0: last season, right? I mean, they had a lot of injuries last year. Yeah, last
1: season was just a nightmare season for them. And they found their feet in the final, you know, four months. And I think they showed to a certain, you know, sort of what they are capable of still. And and yeah, I think, I think they'll continue the form that we, they showed in those final, in the sort of second half post-World Cup uh, part of the season. And yeah, I think they'll be I don't think they're gonna. I don't think it's gonna be like the City Liverpool title races of a couple of years ago. I don't think it will be neck and neck until the final few weeks. But yeah, I think they they'll close the gap on City compared to their own gap, obviously. And uh, I think they finish second.
0: Yeah. So, question I had for for Liverpool for you is, you know, we have a we have a common friend who who knows Trent on a first name basis. And towards the end of the year, Jurgen Klopp started to play Trent. A little more into that midfield area and, and kind of playing more forward. How how best do you utilize him? Because you know he is a extremely athletic player and, and should be at times way better than he looks out there. What do you think it's is the tough. best approach?
1: It's tough because he can't really defend, and that became obvious over the last eighteen months. And he is a constant uh, weak point for them. When played at right back, and even if he's played in a in a wing back situation as a kind of five, five at the back, he's 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 just a liability. So pushing him further forward, getting him involved in the midfield makes sense. That's a difficult transition to make. It's not like he's an 18-year-old having to kind of go into he's a you know experienced international Premier League footballer at this time. So complete change in position and responsibility, not easy, and to do it at the very highest level. That's it. Would be impressive if he really, really was a huge success there. But I think it's the smart move. He's such a a just from set pieces. His delivery is so good that you kind of want him to be on the pitch. But also just his ability to create chances with the with the passes he and the vision he has. You, you know, he's too good to leave out. And at club level, you have that flexibility that, like for England, it's you know it's too much of a challenge to kind of try and rework your system to get him involved. At club level you have the ability to do that and yeah I think it's pushing him into midfield makes sense but it will be interesting to see how long if things start to go wrong for him in midfield how long would it be until they just revert to put him at right back and just cross our fingers when someone's attacking down the left
0: and I, the last for Liverpool, Darwin Nunez now sporting the number nine this year had nine goals last year in the Premier League. What kind of season do you expect? Is he a dark horse to have a much improved fifteen-goal season? Let's say
1: I think he hits fifteen to twenty goals. So yeah, I think he's, I think he's going to be. You know, he had he showed glimpses of real talent. So I think he, if he, especially the key for forwards is you got to get off to a good start. You have to build confidence in those first couple of weeks. If he scores, you know, if three weeks into the season he has three goals, then it's going to be really easy for him to – because you're always going to have a, a, a kind of down period, whether that's only – if you're Holland, that's like two games without scoring. But if you're a normal player, that might be five, six, seven matches without scoring a goal. And to be able to ride those out, you need to, to be able to remember why well, I did score four in a row at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, it's key to him to get off to a good start, to also just not have too much pressure on him. But I think he has a good year. The tough thing, too, for him, I mean, Salah takes penalties, right? So he's missing out on those easy goals. It's always one of those things you have to factor in when people are critical of forwards that don't score enough goals. You know, like, he's missing out on six, seven goals a season just by not being the penalty taker. And that makes a difference at the end of the season like if you you know you say he scored 9 last year if you take in all of Liverpool's penalties he probably ends up on 14 15 and then the season looks way better people will be like oh you know want 15, 14 15 goals in your first season in the premier league that's not too bad but when staying in single single figures and only getting 9 it doesn't doesn't look great
0: so next you had united finishing third and finishing fourth so yeah. The first big question I'll ask for you, yeah. moving on from De Gea, is that yeah. going to be good or is that going to come back and haunt them?
1: No, I think he'll be okay. De Gea was, a, was is a very good goalkeeper, incredible shot stopper. I think his sort of pure goalkeeping ability is super high, but he did make mistakes. So you know, Onana is a good keeper. So I don't I don't think they'll really. It's still. It, Changing goalkeepers is not ideal. The relationship a goalkeeper has with with the whole back four or back five or back three, whatever formation you play, is is, is important. So that can take a little bit of time to reestablish, and they had a lot of consistency there with De Gea. But uh, I think they're fine there. I think the, the big – you know, they showed a lot of pro- – again, they were a team that in glimpses last season – showed some very good things and they just seem to be pushing in the right direction over the course of last season and kind of in a similar way that I'm being optimistic about Liverpool's final six months of the season. I think Manchester United showed that they were on a sort of upward trajectory. So I think they'll continue that. I think the big, you know, like adding Mason Mount, I think that's okay. You know, I think it it's a position I'm not a huge Mason Mount fan, but, He'll be decent. What uh,
0: uh Hoyland.
1: Yeah, the, the Holland knockoff, Rasmus Hoyland. Yeah. Um, he was impressive at Atalanta. I mean, it's hard to judge how how there's not not always a great con, sort of conversion rate of Serie A attacking players to the Premier League. It's not the greatest success rate, but uh, you know, he has a lot of pace, he's a good finisher, he looks really suited to the Premier League so again I think that has to be an upgrade on you know like whether that was Martial who you know they kind of didn't really have a true sort of not stereotypical center forward but real center forward position and and he gives them that and I guess the one thing you might say is did they waste in a sense Marcus Rashford's greatest season like can you expect Marcus Rashford to be as good this year as he was last year? That's so you're going to have probably have some drop off from him. So other people need to pick up the slack, but yeah, I think they'll continue to improve. Uh, So yeah. And I, I, I expect Hoyland to be, to be good, not Holland good, but (laughs) But
0: Hoyland good. Exactly. I mean, that was going to be my other question is I'm a big Marcus Rashford supporter. I was going to ask is this upcoming season, when all is said and done, will he be a top five player in the Premier League?
1: Um well, he might be already, right? But yeah, but, I think
0: but you're you're it, saying he's coming off his best season. That's what what I'm saying is will will that is his best season last year actually his normal season moving forward?
1: Yeah, that would be the that's the test. Um, yeah, I mean it's such a hard one because it's weird because the position he plays, right? I'm saying would he yeah. definitely be a top five player in the Premier League? And I want to say yes, but then I say is he absolutely guaranteed to start for England? And then I might say no, and it doesn't make sense <laughs> for the like a top five player in the Premier League to me, not absolutely guaranteed to be starting for England. So. Uh, But I think, yes, I think he, he might not be in terms of goal scoring. He might not be quite as good as he was last season because there was a, there was a time there where kind of almost every shot he was taking was finding a way into the net. But I think he'll, in terms of standard of performance, he will be as good and will continue to get better. He's obviously learning. He seems like a player who is, who is kind of, you know, figuring out exactly what he needs to do in a side. So, yeah, I'll say yes.
0: Nice. I hope so. So next, you have Chelsea. Now, this is the Chelsea team that averaged one goal per match last season. One, their lowest average ever in Premier League and tied for their lowest average since 1923. After spending 600 million in transfer fees, yeah. they put up one goal per match. Then you take that team and you eliminate basically three quarters of the squad Havertz, yeah. Mount, Kovacic, Loftus Cheek, Pulisic, Conte, gone, all gone. Yeah. Kulabale, gone. Yeah. You bring in, uh, who do they bring in? They've got. Nicholas Jackson, who in pre we'll talk about that a little bit later, but in preseason has been looking very, very good. And uh, in Konk in Konku.
1: in Konku from Leipzig. Who's, yeah, who's, who's now who's injured
0: for, for at least three months.
1: <laughs> but a good player, a good uh, player. They also br- brought in uh, Axel de Sassi from Monaco, central defender. Um, uh, Robert Sanchez from Brighton. Uh, so they made they made some good signings, I would say, but yeah, there's. Uh, are you yeah, attributing I
0: mean, this to to the manager?
1: There's a definite managerial bump. I mean, the the real question. I mean, you're right. They sold so many players uh, this summer, or released. You know, can you walk better after you amputate both of your legs? That's kind of the question Chelsea are asking themselves. They need to be, I think, thirty seven points better if the league finished in exactly the same way in order for them to be in the finish in fourth position as I'm projecting. So that's a pretty significant improvement. But yeah, I think you have a better manager in charge. I think not having quite so many players helps. Like they spoke about the fact they had to have a second dressing room <laughs> uh, in for training because there were too many players. So having clearer idea of what the squad is, who's going to play, how involved they're going to be. I think that will make them better. And again, similar to Liverpool in some respects, last season was just a little bit of a nightmare season. And I don't think things can go that badly for you two seasons in a row. So I'm. But expecting... Liverpool
0: finished fifth still. Chelsea yeah. finished 12th. Their worst finish in 28 years. Yeah, they also
1: appointed <laughs> Frank Lampard for a brief period of time. <laughs> so... Not having Frank Lampard manage you in a season is probably worth 20 points alone. So, you know, now they just need to make up another 17. I think they'll, I think they'll, I wouldn't be betting my life on it. If Phil Mickelson's listening, I don't think he should be going out and betting $100 million on it. But yeah, I mean, this is my bold prediction, right? The bold prediction is putting Arsenal out of the top four and Chelsea into it. That's yeah. that's the boldest prediction I'm going to make for the Premier League this season.
0: I mean they they paid 60 mil for Nkanku, but it, I think that's a big loss having he's going to be out for I think they said about 12 weeks. That's a yeah. long spell for like your main signing to, to be out as you come in. So I that that's just very unfortunate right off the bat. That's not how you want to start the season for Chelsea.
1: No, it's not. But I think, yeah, I think they'll be, I think they'll be okay, but let's wait and see. Yeah.
0: So I mentioned Nicholas Jackson, who has stepped up in this preseason and, and has looked really good. How much do you think these preseason matches can translate?
1: Um, Almost not not at all. Again, going back, for a goal-scoring perspective, it goes to the confidence thing. And these are still, you know, these are these kind of preseason tours where they're at least playing other Premier League teams. The teams don't really care. It's not their best 11s going out there. But it still gives you confidence. So for him to be scoring, you don't want a uh, an attacking player who's, you know, missing chances in preseason and not scoring at all. So it gives you Again, it kind of goes back to the, the darwin uh element. Like it's He has a better chance of hitting the ground running now that he's coming into the start of the Premier League season with, you would assume, quite a lot of confidence. So it's a good sign.
0: And probably a lot more opportunity now. So if he gets that opportunity and, like you said, does well, I think you're right. I think that could be great. So moving on from there, you then had Arsenal, right? And I had them finishing third. I was tempted to place them back into second. Mostly on, obviously, their their major signing, Declan Rice. Yeah. Off the bat, Eddie, is Declan Rice a game changer?
1: Um, he's a very, very good player. And I don't think he'll be a bad signing. I don't know if he's probably not a 105 million pound player, but I don't think any player really is. To a certain extent. So, is he a game changer? Probably no, just because of the role that he plays. Like, how much of an upgrade will Declan Rice be over Granite Shaka? Will it be super noticeable come the end of the season? He'll probably score a couple of more goals. He's a bit sort of silkier, better on the ball. You'll have more highlights that Declan Rice is involved in than Granite Xhaka, But the fundamental, what is he in the team to do? Kind of break up play a little bit, protect the back four, serve as that connecting tissue between the back four and the midfield. You know, Granit Xhaka wasn't bad at that either. So I don't th- like. I don't think he's... Arsenal don't become a significantly better team by having Declan Rice in them this season. The the big question mark with Declan Rice is, like, does this step up in team that he's playing with? help him to step up as an individual and that we don't know. And this might be the catalyst he needs as an individual player to kind of develop into a more complete, well-rounded, you know, kind of, Would you argue kind of
0: similar to like Jack Grealish?
1: Kind of. Yeah. Under a better manager, for sure. You know, in a system that more is expected of him, higher standards, the training on a day-to-day basis will be way more challenging for him
0: which he seems to really enjoy. I mean, like every interview I've seen, he is very excited to be, you know, challenged like that. You know, he's yeah. he's made a point of that, you know, that this is going to make him better being around more talent, you know, amazing coaching, kind of in and out in playing the best in the world.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's for most players that should be one of the things they need to continue to improve. So... You know, I think he'll he'll he's a good player. I don't think he's a bad signing. I don't want it to be taken that way. But you know, when I looked at this Arsenal team, why didn't Arsenal win the league last season? I don't think it was because of the marginal difference between Granit Jacka and Declan Rice. I do think it was because they miss, they don't have a true goal scorer in their team, and not lacking a true goal scorer, they went out and signed Kai Havertz. Not a true goal scorer. Declan Rice, definitely not a true goal scorer. And uh Urian Timber from IX, definitely not a true goal scorer. Yeah. I think Tim- Timber and Rice could be good signings. Havertz, I think, is like a, a mediocre Premier League player who's managed to make a decent name for himself yeah. and kind of just put himself in the kind of top four consideration as a signing, but realistically, he should probably be playing for a mid-table team. But I don't think they addressed the thing that they were missing last season and I don't think we're relying on there is a reason why Manchester City felt after a certain moment in time they couldn't rely on Gabriel Jesus to win them the Premier League and win them the Champions League and then we're a couple of years later and Arsenal are relying on Gabriel Jesus <laughs> to win them the Premier League that to me is a concern and the other factor to throw in they now have Champions League football which means I will have to play, you know, yes, they had, like whenever people talk about, oh, we have European football previous seasons, but playing in the lesser competitions, you just put out your B team and you, you know, some players might not even travel and you have no pressure going into those matches. They're going to play champions league matches now that they are expected to win. That they want to win. That they want to prove that they are genuinely one of the best clubs in Europe. So that is going to make their season exponentially tougher too and they're going to have european hangovers in the premier league that's going to impact the point total they have at the end of the season so in the reverse of like liverpool and chelsea where they had periods where everything went wrong for them last season i think arsenal had periods where everything went right for them last season pretty much up until the final five weeks and i don't think they can repeat that maybe they'll prove me wrong. They proved me wrong for a substantial part of last season, but yeah, you know,
0: so I'm kind of um, thinking of a little bit of a bill Barnwell who always loves to talk about teams that kind of rose above their norm and coming back down to their norm. um, You know, when they win, one game, one score matches or one score games, you know, and they shouldn't and blah, blah, blah. So Arsenal starting 11 maintained an 87% consistency last year. That was by far and away the best in the Premier League. You could argue they just got lucky. You know, they didn't have many major injuries, no, you know, no major issues. They were able to put out the same team. And I think with a good manager, when you have the same, players out there that are good players you can you you can make something work they can gel and they can form good bonds and good connections and play well i i just don't see that look at a team like we just talked about liverpool last year they were the exact opposite they were you know crushed by injuries and that really hurt them and you know i think it's unrealistic to think that you just are going to have a club that D- doesn't ever have anyone start to miss matches. So I think that's going to hurt them a little bit. I think they were boosted by the fact that they were able to put out the starting 11 almost all year. The other interesting stat I saw, Eddie, was pre-World Cup, they were allowing 0.85 expected goals per 90. Only City was better. Post-World Cup, that went to 1.3 XG per 90. So from 0.85 to to 1.3 a major difference and you know maybe that was playing a little better competition because they had city what two matches for city both after world cup so maybe it's just the city fact who knows but you know they were definitely a little exposed after the world cup and that'll be interesting to see what team shows up early on this year do they go right back to that pre-world cup level or do they come back to that post-world cup where they were a lot shakier
1: yeah, and, and optimistic Arsenal fans post World Cup attributed that drop off to the Saliba injury, and saying that one central defender going out is has that much of an impact on how many goals you're conceding is kind of crazy to me. Like, and again, reveals a real issue with strength and depth. You also, you know, that we're a podcast that loves XG, and kind of touching on that goal scoring issue that I I mentioned. Last, uh, you know, uh, Gabriel Jesus had an expected goals outcome over the course of last season of 15.2 goals. He only scored nine. And then Nketiah had an expected goals outcome of 11.4. He also scored nine. So you're going to need, I mean, either one of those sample sizes to be obviously larger when it comes to Nketiah, but also you're going to need... those players to become, you know, can they significantly improve? And then the real concern is the reverse. They then got a lot of their goals from midfield, and you had Saka, who had an expected goals outcome of twelve point four, scored fifteen. Martinelli eleven point three expected, scored fifteen. Uh, Odegaard had ten point two expected, scored fifteen. And Granite Shaka now gone, but. Declan Rice has to fill in for him, expected goals outcome of 5.6, scored nine. So you had four players from midfield who got significantly more goals than you would have expected them to based on chances created. And then you have forwards who are probably not as lethal as the rest of the top four, or certainly probably won't be. And it kind of goes back to that Rashford question with Manchester United. Will Saka, who probably had the best, season of his career be able to maintain that will Odegaard be able to make again probably best season of his career will he be able to maintain that Martinelli took massive strides forward will he get even better will he maintain it will he get slightly worse you know there's they're counting on a lot of players replicating their best ever form over a significant period of time and it it just it makes me nervous if I were an Arsenal supporter. I still think they're going to be good. They're going to be fun to watch. I'm not saying they're a bad team. I just think the second to fifth, second to sixth in the Premier League is going to be really tight because you have to throw Newcastle into that mix, who we're not even mentioning, but Newcastle have a very strong chance of finishing in the top four as well. It's going to be tough, and I just can't see them. I, don't, I think they're the, the ones who miss out. But I, I I'm excited carry... to see
0: the Rice the Saka combo. Yeah, that could be fun.
1: Yeah. And look, it's, you know, from my perspective for England, I think it's really good to have Declan Rice going into the Euros, playing a higher standard of football and learning from Arteta, who, you know, has such an interesting take on, on style and individual responsibilities within the game. So I think it's good for England. It could be great for Declan Rice. I just don't think that that kind of pushed suddenly, oh, wow, they're going to close the gap on City because they signed Declan Rice. So let's
0: actually go then to Newcastle. I had I originally had them 5th and then Chelsea 6th and kind of flipped them a little bit. But I can I can talk myself I think into Chelsea just being a clusterfuck <laughs> with with all this transition. But my worry with Newcastle is we've talked, you know, almost all of last year that, you know, this could be a club that is in the mix every year now because of the, the financial, uh, let's say, hope they have and, and abilities they have, right? But when you look, have they done enough? I mean, they've signed Tenali, but that's about it, really. You know, And for a club that you think has unlimited signings, have they done enough this offseason to boost themselves and keep themselves up there?
1: Well, I mean yeah, unlimited signings within financial fair play, right? Um yeah. I mean, I think Harvey Barnes from Leicester will be a good addition and okay. Livermento it was injured for Southampton last season, but he's a super talented player. So, you know, I think they are Newcastle so far are doing they are signing players in a very intelligent way and I think in particular because they could face that backlash of the Saudi money and, uh, you know, just the whole everything that's associated with it, they're going about building a squad in a very smart way. Um, I still expect at some moment in time for some massive signing to be completed, whether that's at the end of this transfer window or January or in a year or two's time, I guess we'll see but I think eventually that will happen. Um, but they're like a very well put together team and their smart signings. There's every case that, to say that they could be as consistent. That what they think you know with Newcastle, which is the biggest, it's a huge compliment to, to, to pay them. They just beat teams that are worse than them. They're very good. So you can just kind of pencil in you know, out of the thirty-eight matches that they're gonna play, I think you just kinda pencil in twenty wins because they'll just they'll just take apart teams in the bottom half through how well they're set up, how cohesive a unit they are, and just how well you know, how well put together they are and with Eddie Howe in charge. So I don't know, you could make again, they they have that other issue Arsenal have. They had no European football last season. Now they're going to be in the Champions League. Again, they'll be trying to prove themselves there. That's travel. that's, more, that's means there's more games to play. Um, that's why I'm not predicting them to finish in the top four, but it wouldn't stun me if they did. If they kind of snuck into fourth again, it wouldn't wouldn't amaze me. If you tell me, if I kind of analyze my predictions for the top five, if you told me that Chelsea didn't improve as much as I thought they were going to, Arsenal finished second, and Newcastle finished fourth. I wouldn't be stunned, but, but yeah, those, those are my predictions. But I think they're, they're, they're going about building a squad in a smart way.
0: So I guess the one last major club to discuss are Spurs.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the question, obviously, the Harry Kane question remains as to will he be there come the end of the window. We had exactly the same conversation 12 months ago. And I think then I put them in the top four. I said, if Harry Kane stays, I think that I was going to put them in the top four. And then if he leaves, they were dropping out. He stayed and they still weren't close. Um, So I kind of like some of their signings. Um, So, I mean, you look. Okay, go ahead.
0: ahead. ahead. You got James Madison. James Madison, good
1: signing good signing um like loris was a liability in goal and so um vicario from empoli i I don't know that much about him i've seen empoli play a handful of times last season reports from him are uh you know that he's a a good shot stopper but
0: did you say reports I, from him? Is he telling from you from him? Of, <laughs> of
1: him, um, and He's then other things. You
0: daily updates. I'm fucking crushing it in training.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, they 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 seem like decent signings. I think they're better than they were last season. I would say so. I would expect some improvement, but again, I just think it's so close in that sort of two to six range. that just a bit of bad luck or a really good run of form or a bit of a bad run of form and you could have a shakeup in in where all of these teams finish. But yeah, I mean, for them, it's will Kane be there or not? If Kane's not there, then I think you could make a strong case that a team like Brighton or Aston Villa could leapfrog them. And if Kane stays, then you could, I think it's, you know, you'd expect them to be fifth or sixth and in with a chance at the top four.
0: A lot of optimism though, with the new manager. Yeah. Celtic powerhouse.
1: Yeah. I mean, an
0: Aussie manager.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which is obviously a little bit of a novelty. Um, He's very highly thought of in the, in footballing circles. And he's, he's interesting to listen to him speak. And again, they're a club who, you know, they basically had a manager check out midway through last season. So, you know, it, 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 you have to think that's a positive, even if he's not that great. You have to kind of think that's I watched a more... it like a little
0: piece on him. It's, it's pretty impressive, like, where he started and what he did to get to where he is and kind of just crazy excelled at each level as he progressed. Uh, so it is impressive.
1: Yeah, and it makes you want him to succeed, you know, because it is nice to see managers who aren't just former players or who aren't, you know... You know that already is kind of a rarity to see someone managing a fairly big club who didn't play at that standard of football previously like there's not that many of them that were around that used to be more commonplace. It's a little bit less um frequent now but but yeah, no, I think uh yeah, I think they'll have a good season, but it's just gonna be tough for them to crack the top four and then I'll round off my seventh eighth. I'll put Brighton and Aston Villa in there, in no particular order. You can put Aston Villa above them, or or Brighton to to finish above them, but they both seem to be two good teams moving again, also moving in the right direction. Who yeah. I think again do a good job of beating bad teams, which is a big compliment to play to pay to a team in the kind of European spots.
0: Yeah, and I think Aston Villa could have a, have a really nice year. I mean. They, they could be, you know, if, well, depending on what happens with Harry Kane, I mean, they could move up there pretty quickly. Lost just twice over the final three months of the season. You know, it's pretty
1: impressive. Um, yeah, and they're a very popular, the super dark horse Champions League prediction. Uh, a number of people are, are throwing their name. Good signings. The, didn't lose much. Ring.
0: You know, I, th- I think they could have a really nice year.
1: They could do. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I think they'll be in the seventh to eighth spot and have a very solid season. But as it, th- someone who supported a team that kind of occupied this status in the Premier League for a while, sometimes either in the media or outsiders continue to think like, well, they'll, they'll keep getting better, right? And at a certain moment in time, you hit the the glass ceiling of Premier League potential because, yeah, like someone like Tielemans is a nice signing, but. Manchester City aren't doing it right like there's there's you are feeding off kind of you like if you're Brighton how good can your scouting system be forever like is every player you're going to sign turn into something of a superstar probably not you've had a bit of a purple patch recently but there's going to be a one window you go through where there's a couple of flops and and things don't work so smoothly and for Aston Villa you can have a really great unit of players that are outperforming the sort of sum of you know the sum of their parts is better than the the individuals, but still, you're not going to beat Manchester City that way, at least not consistently. And yeah, well then, should we then do? Yeah, bottom do you, three.
0: You want to just do bottom three? Okay. So I, I have a few questions then for that. Okay. Let's start with. What team that was just promoted is definitely staying up.
1: Definitely staying up.
0: I want you to give me which one, if you had to, which one is definitely staying up.
1: I would say Burnley then they're the best positioned, you know, they're the yo-yoed and yo-yoing gives you a better chance. Cause you have players in place who've played in the premier league previously. They were very, very good in the championship. I think they can kind of play in a somewhat similar way as they did in the championship in the Premier League and not and be and do okay. So yeah, I would say and they've I mean they've gone out and spent a, a decent amount of money. So yeah, I think Burnley have by far the best chance of, of staying up. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean that was a team. So I saw the stat was sixty four percent possession in, mm-hmm. in Championship League. So that that's going to be. I think the issue is can they play that kind of football in a much tougher division where they probably don't have the uh, advantage talent wise, right? So,
1: yeah, it, it's a can tough can question adjust. to ask. It's a tough question to ask me because I think Luton and Sheffield United have absolutely no chance of staying up. So, by process of elimination, I had to say Burnley no matter yeah. what.
0: That was actually my next question, Eddie. What what team do you put your. Most money on, that's going right back down.
1: Um, I, I mean, I think it's a toss-up between, I, I, as I said, I don't think Sheffield United or Luton have even the slightest chance, to be perfectly honest. So, like a big warning sign for Sheffield United is the fact that they sold one of their key players, Sander Berg, to Burnley. Like, that's a bizarre move. To get promoted and sell one of your key players to another promoted side
0: also is... l- lost their leading score
1: yeah <laughs> but In that was
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but that's a harder one right that was um you know you, you you kind of more difficult at times but but yeah i don't know i, th- I think neither of them have any chance i kind of look you know luton uh, yeah i, I it's hard to be optimistic about either of their chances i wouldn't be amazed
0: so i looked at uh luton's market value for their roster 61 million the last team to have that low was burnley in 2014 so you're looking at almost 10 years ago which obviously money has increased in the premier league and you're coming in with that lowest amount. That is not good. I mean, I know all joking aside, we've been joking off podcasts about this. Their only advantage might be that they're playing at at a stadium that most clubs don't even want to travel to and play in. And that could work to their advantage somehow.
1: (laughs) It could do, but yeah, I mean, it's a huge step up already. The fact that they were promoted last season, and and they, you know, they deserve a lot of plaudits. They've had this; they are what Wrexham dream of being, right? Oh, they're the real
0: life. They're the real life Wrexham. They're the
1: team that should be having documentaries made about them.
0: It was what in ten years, right? Yeah, they moved from the lowest division to the top,
1: and. You know, they deserve huge credit. I didn't think they were gonna get out of the championship last season. So, you know, in a sense, doubt them at your own peril, I suppose, because they have shown consistency in outperforming and overperforming. But yeah, I, I don't really it's it's tough for me to imagine how those players can compete in a Premier League play at a Premier League level because I didn't even think some of them were really championship players. So, we'll see, but yeah. who knows? I've thought that in the past and teams have managed to stay up.
0: And I guess this will answer both the question of who you think your top 3 are because my next question was going to be what is it what team do you have to bet your money on that's going down that wasn't just one of the newly promoted clubs.
1: So, it's tough. I'm I'm going to I think Burnley will stay up. And I am going to say that Nottingham Forest are the other team to drop down, who I thought would go down last season. And I think there's just going to be a one-year lag on them being relegated. So I'm going to have Forest occupying the third relegation spot.
0: My hot take was actually going to be that they are not going to be in a relegation zone next year purely from the fact that they signed 26 players last year. And I don't think any team can be successful in their first year, putting together a squad of basically no one that's played together. So I think, you know, now that they've had a year under their belt, they have some consistency in that lineup. I think they're going to be much improved with a full year now and not having 26 new players come in. But having signed at least a few players that can also contribute to that to that new roster. I think they're actually going to be, I would say, like 14th, 15th.
1: Yeah, that, it, it's a solid case. I think 14th, 15th might be optimistic. I mean, I'll be this. I'll say this. The, the, the logical team, and this might be the team. I don't want to steal your thunder here. This might be the team that you're going to pick. The logical team to pick to occupy that third spot is Everton because they were awful last season. And they haven't really done much. They've signed two players. They haven't done anything to fix any of the problems that they had. So it's just part of me thinking that they still do have quite a lot of quality within their team and that things will get better because of it. But I mean, they have big problems there. And they, as I said, they've so far in the transfer window, they haven't done much to fix anything. So, but yeah,
0: we'll see. They were, they, they were very close for me to put in, um, Obviously, just survived basically just survived the last two seasons. You know, they were four points and two points in the last two seasons away from relegation zone, and they've
1: regressed. And his, 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 history would tell you sooner or later, yeah, the trap door opens when yeah. you're playing with fire. You it eventually goes wrong at the bottom of the Premier League,
0: and yeah, and kind of what you're saying. They've regressed four of their last six seasons, and they've have a negative twenty three point regression. Uh, Over the past two seasons. So not headed in the right direction. (laughs) So they're due. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're due. I actually had Bournemouth. As my last one. And I don't have a particular. The issue is, I think. 12, 12. to. 17, I think, is pretty tight and it could go any way. And, you know, I just don't. I just don't have a lot of faith in Bournemouth. I, I don't, you know they've invested in some young talent, but you never know. And I just i I didn't see enough to i I can make cases for the other clubs to survive. I can't really now make the case for Bournemouth. So that's my pick for the last one to to drop,
1: which is fair. and and, and I think this is why the Premier League season this this season is going to be really interesting. I think you can make a genuine case for the top four for six, six clubs, seven clubs maybe, and for the drop you could make a strong case for about eight. Yeah. So I've you'll... seen some
0: predictions: Wolves, Fulham, yeah. you know, possibly yeah. all dropping.
1: Yeah, I mean, people are giving Burnley a massive benefit of the doubt, but as a promoted side you know, there's no reason to think that they definitely should stay up. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams who you could, I think above that I'd be surprised, but then also there's usually one team that's, you know, like West Ham were in the mix last season and you didn't really see that coming this time around. That could be Brentford, that could be Crystal Palace. Um, But yeah, it's, I mean, even,
0: even West Ham, like you mentioned West Ham. Yes, they got some hardware, right? And they got a trophy, but they still finished 14th. You know, that's that's pretty scary. That's close. And you've now lost Declan Rice. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that is not a situation you want to be in.
1: No, they lost one of their key players and a real talisman for them as well. And they haven't added a tremendous amount. So they're a team who are definitely worse off than they were at the start of last season. And they had a bad season. So, yeah, no, you could... It wouldn't stun me if West Ham were in a relegation battle again uh, this time around, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. That's for sure.
0: So any other clubs you want to touch on? Uh, you didn't mention crystal palace. We didn't talk about them at all. How old is Roy Hodgson? That's my question.
1: (laughs) He is old. I We have to end this, I mean, not end the podcast, but we have to address, we have to kind of completely change something. This Uh is the danger of recording things. Harry Kane has agreed to join Bayern Munich. Wow. So.
0: Breaking uh, news. You heard it here first, (laughs) six days later.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So he's going to sign a a four-year contract with with Bayern Munich. Um, But yeah, that obviously changes some of our Tottenham predictions it changes the whole conversation we had about Harry Kane a little bit earlier in the in the podcast but at least we're able to address the fact i'm sure there's some listeners who will think we sound like idiots in that earlier part of the discussion but yeah it's it's come out I mean, as it, we've it, recorded
0: you know what it it doesn't for me change it substantially because i don't have them in the top 6 anyway So you know, at this point I didn't at at this point if if they lose Kane, they still have talent up front to score. And at that point you're you're competing with Ashton Villa and, and Brighton, right?
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't I guess the difference for me is the upside was there for potentially being in the top four with Harry Kane. And now the upside is fifth. Yeah. Like there it's I think now it would be Kind of again, I think the upside side sixth, <laughs> pro- pro- probably. But like, if everything went really, really well, if Son really steps in to kind of take some of that responsibility, if Richarlison has a great season, maybe you could see them fifth now. But yeah, it's um, it's it's good for Harry Kane, I think, but it's definitely bad news for Tottenham.
0: 76 years old that is the answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, former former uh, f- former member of the podcast. Did he text you this as well? Is this where it came from? Because he the other day he messaged me to say that Roy Hodgson is 127 days older than the Bernabeu. The Bernabeu, I think technically in Spanish or whatever, the stadium that Real Madrid play in. So, <laughs> He did not,
0: but I just, I watched an interview recently with him and I thought, is that guy dead?
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's old. He's old yeah. for... To...
0: I mean, that's my question is, let's say you're a young football talent. Let's put you at 22 years old. Do you want to be coached by a 75-year-old human being, there's got to be a disconnect there a little bit.
1: Well, there's a disconnect between a 22-year-old and a 44-year-old though, right? So realistically, unless you're super young, and I mean, even, I mean, look, we're we're as young as you're going to be to be a Premier League manager. And when I talk to 19, 20, 21-year-olds now, there's a massive disconnect. Like, but you're their boss. So... You don't need to be like you're not going to go over to their house and hang out, right? So, if I were a young, but I player, think it's
0: more than I think. just also disconnect. Like you can see, you see some like most managers, I would say, are pretty active on the pitch at, at, at practices and trainings. You know, kind of moving around a little bit, pointing and doing sometimes. things. Like, what is he doing? You know, is he just like sitting there on the sidelines watching? He's not putting the cleats, he's not lacing those cleats up and running around. Well,
1: not not everyone, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson didn't do that. You True. know, there's a difference in coaching True. styles. Some 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 managers or coaches want to be really highly involved in the day-to-day running of the of training sessions, and some just want to hand that over to coaches that they trust and allow them to to take charge. So I don't know. Part of me the age wouldn't necessarily bother me. I mean, I guess the question you'd have is, um, you know, Roy Hodgson has been, trim- is, has been very successful over the course of his career, but it's not like he's hit the very highest of heights. And so that might be the thing you think as a player of, we've got an old guy and not the greatest guy. <laughs> whereas if, whereas if this was, you know, if this is Pep Alex Guardiola, is- yeah. Or if this is Pep Guardiola when he's 74, 75, you would be like, Awesome. I get to learn yeah. from one of the greatest managers of all time, all that knowledge he will be able to pass on to me. And that's, that is, you know, Roy Hutchins has managed all over the world, S- super experienced, very knowledgeable, highly respected. So, um, you know, now, rarely, f- rarely fails.
0: I don't want to fully bash on him because I found a pretty cool fact. Since he was hired in March, Crystal Palace only allowed 84 shots the remainder of the year. Number one in the Premier League, even Mm. better than City, who allowed 92. And no one else is even under 100. So although that's a pretty small sample size because he was hired at the end of March. But that is a a pretty nice statistic to have for for a club that is nowhere near the the spending of those bigger clubs that are probably putting more into a defender than Crystal Palace are in their entire lineup.
1: (laughs) It's true. No, no. I mean, yeah, it's true. One other thing we have to talk about. Well, at least mention when previewing this Premier league season, we're obviously set for world cup style. Injury time, added time. Uh, It's now been fully adopted. So it's going to be normal for, Seven, eight, nine, ten minutes of of added time. Mixed reviews of that. I would say we've, um, already, we've already seen it. Yeah, we saw week. it in the in the community shield with Arsenal scoring very late uh, in you know stoppage time. In stoppage time, the twelfth minute of added time, I think it was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, most players and managers are complaining. They think it adds to their physical toll. I don't really get that because i mean i guess technically it does but basically they're saying hey stop taking too long to take throw-ins and wasting time in other scenarios and actually play the length of match that you're supposed to play i'm gonna toot the blackburn manager's horn maybe in more ways than one and say i loved his reaction to it blackburn had i think nine minutes of added time at the end of their first match of the season he said it's great it's what the what they owe the fans that people pay money to turn up and watch football and that they deserve to watch football and not people standing around doing nothing. I think that's the right mindset, but it's definitely going to cause some controversy, right? Because fans, even though it is the correct decision on that, A, how many months, like the World Cup, we had to go through it, the full World Cup. Oh my God, how are there 10 minutes of time? Like, why is this Or it's such
0: BS, they scored in the ninth minute. Yes. I like, yes, but they added ten, so they were how, right. <laughs> and they scored before the time ran out.
1: How long into the Premier League season will this stop being a talking point? That's the real question.
0: Oh, it'll be the whole year. I think it'll be the whole you year think? because because there will be key matches late in the season that will be decided by a 11th minute goal, okay. 11 minute of of stoppage time.
1: Yeah, you're probably not wrong. And do and you it'll, have any other?
0: mean more than. So I guess, you know, we at least spoke of every team, except I don't know if you mentioned Brentford.
1: I said as, okay, I I kind of threw their name in as, as maybe could get dragged into a relegation race. I don't think so, but I threw their name in. So my question to
0: you was, how much does the uh, Phil Mickelson issue of Brentford (laughs) with Tony being suspended for, half the season right how much is that going to affect them
1: yeah probably significantly i mean he's one of their best players he's real quality he's a true goal scorer and that's going to be you know almost impossible to replace
0: and a topic Uh, we didn't really even mention on the podcast actually
1: no yeah, because it always fell in moments where there were sort of bigger things to discuss, I suppose. I mean, look, they came out, they signed Romeo Beckham this summer, I guess that. So we can stop thinking about them, you know. <laughs> da- David Beckham's going to turn up to some some matches, <laughs> that's going to distract everyone, even if they're relegated. Maybe even he'll bring Messi, and that will really distract everyone. But, yeah. Wait, I, I wait, 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 wait. Th-
0: Beckham's going to bring Messi to watch his son?
1: Well, why not? When the MLS season is done. Are you gonna to totally rule out an ESPN Sports Center Instagram post, which at the moment is basically just Messi's burner account? Like I don't need to see I mean, ESPN are just losing their minds over absolutely everything Messi does. Oh my god, Messi's tying his shoes. And they have to post about that on Instagram. Are we ruling out that like in January when the MLS is done, Messi takes a trip to London? And David Beckham and Messi are sitting next to each other at a Brentford match, watching a Premier League game. I wouldn't it, like wouldn't stun me.
0: Yeah, and I so yeah. So the the Tony suspension was, I think, in around March. So it's been a while. But yeah. if I remember correctly, it was supposed to be over a year, but then he was diagnosed as a gambling addict. Yeah, and so they off. cut it to yeah. to half a season. Is that correct? I'm, I'm right in remembering that. Yeah, he, come, right? he comes back in January, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, him and Mickelson have a lot in common.
1: Yeah. Different scales probably. but yeah. A little
0: bit. Although I think t- Tony was betting on his own club.
1: Sort of. He was betting on the team he was on loan from. So okay. he wasn't really involved in the matches. It kind of the headlines were at times slightly misleading. So it wasn't like he was betting and he, you know, he wasn't directly involved in the matches themselves. Yeah. And then what else do we have? Premier league wise. I think that's pretty much it on my end. I do have one final it's football related, but not premier league related story. In the week that I've been away, I should have really put this up at the top, but in the week that I was away, I was on pretty full-time uncle duty, which included going to the beach to play football with my nephew. Uh, And I have to say, I think if they put together a highlight reel, I think a Saudi team would be offering me at least 10 (laughs) million pounds. Oh my God. At one point. At one point, completely broke his ankles. I mean, just like <laughs> left, left him for dead on the sand. Okay. Just blew by him. Another point, nutmegged him, and I don't mean standing in front of him, open legs, push them through. I mean he was running next to me, pushed it to the side, got him to kind of kind of stick his leg out, nutmegged him. And I know what you're thinking: How hard is it to nutmeg a five year old from a technical? <laughs> From like a technical From standpoint, an,
0: an anatomical standpoint, probably anatomical. Difficult. It's hard. It
1: was the smoothest, and I mean, it didn't even glance. This isn't a full know, size ball, though. Full size ball. Oh wow! It literally, it was the perfect timing on it. Didn't brush even, uh, you know, a hair on his ankle as it went through. It was, it was very smooth. And he's like Messi's height, right? Like five one. <laughs> <laughs> Not too far off, actually. But yeah, no, it was. If I would cut together that mixtape, I I, Sports Center would have shared it. I'll put it that way. Uh, that is funny.
0: Yeah, I don't have anything else Premier League wise. I mean, I think you know we covered too. I, although I think Holland won't score as many, I still think he'll win the Golden Boot. I think it, it's. I think I don't know what do you have? By any chance what the odds are?
1: Well, let me first ask you, what would your guess be on what Holland's odds are to be top goal scorer?
0: Oh, it's, it's odds on for sure. You think um, so?
1: Yeah. So, I'll start with this. His over-under on goals. What do you think Holland's over-under? What did he finish out is? last year? 36?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say his over-under this year is 32.
1: So his over-under. Um. Okay, so it's not a super accurate over-under. Basically, over-under 30, he's 8 to 13. So 1.6. So 32, you're probably about right if they were doing it as like getting to 10 to 11 odds, the sort of standard over under you'd be in the 30, 31.5, 32.5 range, um, top goal score, his odds just to finish top goal score. I'm going to say it's like, eight.
0: I'm going to say it's like, uh, it's not one to two. It's a little higher than that. It's probably like, uh, like, I I don't, uh oh, fuck, I'm, I'm bad with the fractions sometimes. I'm going to say like five, seven, seven eighths, or like seven to eight, five, five to eight.
1: <laughs> He's eight to 13. So, yeah, yeah, that's what it's one point. Uh, but anyway, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you're, you're, you're kind of going through the right ballpark. It's not far. Yeah, above 1.5, but it, that might dip because currently. Can I guess?
0: This. I want to guess who the top ones are. Well, like, let me Liz let me Kane's give you this. Zone, Harry right?
1: Harry Kane is still in the market at seven to one because I guess technically the transfer that's like been reported as being completed obviously is not official official. So Harry Kane is still second favorite at seven to one. That means I guess Holland's odds might drop. Ever so slightly with Kane removed, and then who do you think round up the top five? Okay, so Holland,
0: and then I'm gonna go Mo Salah.
1: Correct, eight to one currently. Probably will be seven to one when Kane is gone.
0: Saka, or wait, okay, okay, not in the top five. Rashford, none.
1: He is fourth. Um. 16
0: to 1. Um, let's go. We, we talked about Nunez. Let's go Nunez.
1: He is third. 16. So, okay, I guess joints third, Rashford and Nunez, uh, Darwin are both 16 to 1. This is where it gets tricky. You then have four players at 25 to 1. So, oh, fuck. <laughs> done. Name, name any of them, and you technically will be right.
0: Is it, is it another City player one? No. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, we already have two Liverpool in. Yeah. And not Saka, huh?
1: No. Hmm. Anthony? No. You're missing some obvious really? one. Really? Yeah, obvious-ish ones, I would say. Son. Son is 25 to 1. I guess his odds will drop now. Because obviously he'll, you'd assume, take on penalty duties. So that's going to see Son score more goals. So I think Son will become, it wouldn't even stun me if you saw Son now drop to the kind of 16 to 1 Rashford level. The oh, I Ars- are,
0: uh, so I the other one Arsenal's gotta be uh Gabriel Jesus.
1: J- Jesus is 25 to 1 as well. Ollie Watkins at Aston Villa is also 25 to 1. And right. then R- Rasmus Hoyland is 25 to 1. Oh. But yeah, I guess that pretty much wraps it up. So far, we had one season where our predictions for the Premier League were remarkably accurate. Last season less so. So we can see if if we rebound as I'm predicting Chelsea and, and Liverpool to do, or if we continue to fall away as we are expecting Everton to do.
0: Yeah. The Everton will be interesting. So one of the things Eddie, that I was going to discuss before, but we can talk about it now is, uh, I think last podcast or maybe one before we talked about how, uh, rexham had offered they could stay at uh what's his face's house now i can't even think of what's uh not ryan reynolds <laughs> <laughs> uh, mcelhenny rob mcelhenny yeah yeah um right after that there is an article i saw that gwyneth paltrow had her guest house listed on airbnb I don't know if you saw this Eddie, but for one night only, the Oscar winning actress and goop founder and CEO is putting her California guest house on Airbnb, one bed, one bath in Montecito for August 15th for an overnight stay. Now this is what she said. It's my sanctuary for mental clarity. I go there to recharge to daydream about what we're building at Goop and to reconnect with family and treasured friends. Whether you're seeking a place for unexpected connection or for well-deserved solitude and reflection, when you come to stay, I hope you'll get as much joy out of the home as I do. Now, they are invited to indulge in a spa day, participate in a guided transcendental meditation session, and you can take home an abundance of Goop products paltrow will be there to greet you upon arrival and departure (laughs) and they'll have access to the patio and the pool but not the main
1: home does this interest you (laughs) (laughs) no not at all i mean this is a smart move this is like the next level we're going to see from celebrities though right is the idea that you can kind of sort of experience their life, but pay them a large sum of money to do so. And they aren't really going to do it. You know, she's going to say, she'll probably, greeting probably means she'll just wave from a window or like a car will quickly drive by as you enter. And they'll be like, that was Gwyneth Paltrow, by the way. Um, yeah, I, it interests me. No matter what celebrity you named, there's no way. Because the thing is, the only way this kind of interests you is if deep down inside you think you have some chance of becoming their friends. (laughs) And I don't know, you're insane to think that, but I also don't know, what do you do? Do you go on the patio and just try and make it look like you're having the most fun in the world so that they just have to join in? You know, like what is, (laughs) what's the game plan there?
0: Well, it's going to be tough because there's no pets, no smoking, no drugs, or no illegal activities, and a strict no party policy. So tough to have fun with any, all those rules. It's true. <laughs> but no, I mean, this sounds – how much is it? So that's what I don't get. The property is listed for $0. <laughs> I don't understand. If it's like a lottery or something, I don't know. Yeah, it's just,
1: yeah this is probably like an Omaze thing or a, some kind of raffle. But you're responsible
0: mining. for your own travel to and from Montecito.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, in the same way that the Rob McElhenney, you know, he he turned it down. Um, Mullins.
0: Oh, did Mullins end up turning it down?
1: And he came up with the, but they rented him a beach house. I saw Rob McElhenney speak about it. So basically he turned it down and his reasons for doing so were that he had friends from Liverpool who were visiting. So they'd all wanted to stay together and then they couldn't stay at the house together. So instead they rented him some beach house where he and all of his friends could stay instead. That's the ultimate win. Like that played out perfectly for him. But yeah, it's um, the Gwyneth Paltrow. What are the odds? Do you think that someone pulls the what's in the box joke while staying in a <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be the one thing you'd have to do, but it also is so played out. And would be probably so annoying for her that it gets you kicked out of the house, but you think it happens. I mean, the crazy
0: part is, though. I have to say, it's it's nicer. the The one bedroom guest house is nicer than probably any home I'll ever own in my life. Like it is really, really nice. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> as just as like a guest house, I mean, it's it's crazy how nice it looks. And then the backyard that you can share looks very nice as well. So, but yeah, um, unknown she, how much. It, it's a price has not yet been listed.
1: Is she still married to Chris no. Martin?
0: No. no, I'd be the only no. reason I'd want to go. I can get Chris oh. Martin to serenade me by the pool. <laughs> if, no. I'll tell you right now if Chris Martin were part of the equation, I would definitely be interested because one, he also seems pretty quirky. So you'd have some good stories come out of this between her and him.
1: No, no, you wouldn't have some good stories because you're not going to see them. Oh, no, they're going to be there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course.
0: Maybe you see their neighbors, Eddie, Prince Harry, Rob Lowe, Ellen DeGeneres, Cameron Diaz, Ariana Grande, Jennifer Aniston, all in the same
1: neighborhood. Of those, who would you most want to meet?
0: Rob Lowe might be pretty fun. He's so Jennifer really Aniston awesome. supposedly is like really, really nice. That's the one you could break into like in a friendship. Her house? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone says she's just like a super, super nice, just genuine person. So that's the one where maybe like you hang out for a day and she's like, oh, this was a lot of fun. Like, you know, if you're ever in the area <laughs> again, send me a text. You can stop by. Sure. <laughs>
1: You might think I'm delusional for the the Saudi Arabia signing me on the back of the mixtape tape, the tape with my <laughs> nephew. You're more delusional for thinking you could strike up a
0: friendship with Jennifer Aniston. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I think it's feasible, but out of all of those, that's the most feasible in a very unlikely scenario. But yes, if Chris Martin were involved, I would love to see Chris Martin just grab a guitar and sing me some Coldplay songs. Um, So no, you don't want to even, once the listing comes for a price, you don't want me to put in a bid for you?
1: Well, no, because, I mean, if travel were included, then yeah, that would have been more interesting. But no, I don't see myself making my way to, in the next four days, I don't think I'm making my way to L.A., so, if I
0: got you this as a surprise gift, but said you had to travel there, you would decline.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because I am gonna have to buy a last minute ticket to LA and travel. That is for,
0: disappointing to hear.
1: <laughs> and travel for twenty. I mean, what? I mean, total round trip. That's gonna be like twenty five hours of travel to stay somewhere for a day. I think I'll, I, I'd give it a miss.
0: So we are running a little long. So the only other thing I'll say now that we're talking about, um, you know, entertainment, I have not watched still the quarterback's documentary on Netflix, but I did watch a new untold on Netflix, and that is the Johnny Football, Johnny Mm -hmm. Manziel story. Have you taken the time to watch that?
1: I've seen some pretty extended clips from it. Okay. I think I've, I've probably seen all the clips around the major talking points from the out from the, from the bit. It's
0: doesn't tell me anything that I didn't already think or figure out. What is slightly sad is he seems to have not learned very much from his downfall and is still kind of living a very similar, just less expensive life that he was living during his quick rise to fame. And it's kind of sad. Like even his family, his sister even said, you know, he is still nowhere near in a place to almost kind of like be an adult. (laughs) Like it's, and he is still young. I guess when you think about it, he's still pretty young, but it is sad that he went through such hardships and, like, you would think learned such tough lessons, but seemingly he's, hasn't. He's 30. Yeah, 30. Okay. He's, yeah. So,
1: I mean, yeah, he's young. Um, Yeah, so there also seemed to be no remorse, at least from, no. I mean, that, that's kind of similar to you not learning lessons, but like the comment about him not watching any game tape. And he seemed to almost be proud of the fact that he didn't watch anything. Which... Considering you failed spectacularly at the NFL level, I don't know how you can really be proud of it. And then the one bit I haven't seen the clip from, but I read the kind of excerpt from because ESPN made a big deal about it was him claiming that he was planning on committing suicide. Obviously, yeah, and touchy and the sensitive subject. Off. But it then feels weird for him to have. And again, maybe he just isn't very good at speaking about the challenges in his life or his own struggles, but it seems weird to have kind of reached that low, but then have no remorse about the mistakes you've made or the kind of self-awareness or self-reflection to think, I, I could have done that differently, or I can change this part of my life to just be like, well, and again, he, he might just be terribly depressed, have a ton of mental health problems. So, you know, you don't want to judge him too harshly, but yeah, it's, he didn't, from the bits of pieces I've seen of it, he doesn't come off very well. Yeah.
0: The other, one of the things I didn't know that was, well, I don't know how I would know this, but interesting parts of the story was, so he, his best friend was basically the one during college that was, kind of the middleman for all of like the signing of the autographs and things like that. And they were best friends and they would like travel to all these, you know, crazy places. And this was during the time when people were like, how is this college football player at an LA Lakers game in the front row? Like those tickets cost $15,000. And what's interesting is they made up this whole story that Johnny Manziel's family had come from like big oil and that his family was rich but they were not rich in any way but that was the lie they made up and people believed it that that was the reason that they kind of always had this lifestyle but now that he was famous you were seeing that lifestyle but he was always like traveling for fun vacations and like private yachts because his his family came from oil which is actually pretty good but they he you or know, they went through how they were you know making 30,000 50,000 a clip for all these signings of autographs and then when he got drafted uh Manzel decided that he wanted to kind of get like professional people to to run things and that he kind of asked his friend to step back a little bit and kind of you know maybe be like assistant to whoever he hires or something like that and his friend was so pissed that they have not spoken since and this is like 10 years later now. So like his absolute best friend, they were traveling every day. And then he was just like, eh, I'm in the pros now. Like I need a professional. And that they, they were kind of like, all right, and cut ties and have never talked.
1: Which I can kind of see both perspectives there. Because I guess if you're the friend, if you know you're running this very successful operation, part of you would say, why do you need someone else? Like I've shown you over the past few years that we can make a ton of money and do these things. And I've learned about this kind of world. So you could sort of understand it. At the same time, it's irrational to have your friend make it to the NFL and say they're going to hire some professional people to be around them and be that upset about it. Assuming that he is genuine in saying there was still a place for him. You know, because we all we don't really know how that was delivered or what role he was exactly offering the friend in the process. Like, it's very easy now to be like, oh, yeah, he was going to be really involved. Whereas it might have been like, you can be this guy's assistant as in like executive assistant.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there are some like pretty cool, interesting stories, though, about just how, like you said, like the never watching game tape, you know, like they literally have his iPad and it had zero hours logged. You know like it's like a very definitive thing and during the combine all these stories about so another great one is during the combine uh he was doing really well wasn't drinking wasn't doing any drugs was like at one of the training facilities in the southwest you know progressing people were seeing he he had like uh, a, a few open things you know scouts were coming and then the day before the combine he went out and partied all night or two. Yeah. The day before combine went out, partied all night. And he basically called up his agent and was like, listen, I know they're going to drug test me. And he's like, yeah, they're like, every team is probably going to drug test you. Cause like of your issues. And he's like, well, I'm going to fail it. <laughs> so his agent made up a story and called up his parents and said, one of you has to say you're in the hospital and I'm going to have, uh, Johnny, like go, to the first day of the combine do the minimal amount he has to do and then say he has to leave because you're in the hospital and he has to go visit his family because family comes first and that's what they did and it got away with it so he never got like didn't have to do half of the stuff he was supposed to do it's crazy that it shit really, is crazy
1: to me it really also shows you though all these nfl teams that have like former cia former fbi people working for them right like this is part of as part of their personnel department to carry out some of the background research on people i mean whoever works for the cleveland browns by now i have to imagine has already been fired but you'd have to seriously question like how are we claiming that we know like we know what he eats for breakfast every day yeah and then something as obvious as this either.
0: Well, maybe they do now because of this.
1: (laughs) I mean, even back then, right? We're not that long ago, but you would have thought, for example, debunking him coming from oil. That would have taken a LinkedIn search.
0: Yeah. And what's crazy is they had all these clips from like ESPN and different shows being like,
1: Johnny Manziel's family is rich.
0: They come from big oil. <laughs> like, it's like, oh my god, yeah. are you kidding me? And then the guys is like, yeah, we just made up that story. <laughs> it's like really good.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, look, it's not a great, it's not a great look for sports journalism in terms of the standards of that. But then, yeah. as I sent to you that clip from uh, a couple of days ago with uh, <laughs> with Colin Skip Coward.
0: Oh, Colin Coward. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, (laughs) Claiming putting Dwayne Haskins on a list of NFL quarterbacks that will not win the Super Bowl this year. You know, when that's making it onto major networks.
0: Yeah. At first, I thought that was like an old clip. No. But it's not.
1: And what made it – what makes it even worse is not only is it him putting Dwayne Haskins on a list of NFL quarterbacks who could not win a Super Bowl – Even the original list has an error in it, the one that's being displayed on screen, and has a typo that's saying NFL quarterbacks who could win a Super Bowl. So he's got Dwayne Haskins as a potential Super Bowl winner. And then he's having to correct his own list and saying, no, he's actually not. His correction is that
0: it should say say, don't, not do, but doesn't ever correct the Dwayne Haskins. And and even says his name too.
1: Yes, it's a long list, and he singles out Dwayne Haskins, and then yeah. The, so for listeners who are unfamiliar, Dwayne Haskins died like, two se- two years ago now. So it's uh, or maybe a year ago. A year it was ago. before last, before last season, during the last off season. So still a year ago, we've had a full NFL season played since then.
0: Oh, Eddie, I real quick before we leave, I, ha- I heard an interesting fact. Do you know why there was not? a pregnant barbie in the barbie movie
1: um wasn't that one weird barbie supposed to be pregnant the one that they kept saying made them awkward
0: but she wasn't do you know why she do you know why there was no pregnant barbie no because ken came in a different box
1: (laughs) are we we really doing this (laughs) that might get edited out (laughs) I, I guess it won't be because you're so pleased with it.
0: <laughs> I heard that. And I really like that joke.
1: But the downside of that is there is a pregnant Barbie. I
0: know you it. ruined it. <laughs> you ruined it by being too literal. Sorry. Okay. Uh, well, with that, yeah. I guess we can call it a day. Yeah. Why
1: don't we? <laughs> what a way to sign off. All uh, right. Talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio. <laughs>